contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up to the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of End Scene, an entertainment law podcast. I'm Chef Tony Oyakostas. And I'm Evan Narr. The reason why Tony is calling himself Chef Tony Oyakostas is for the majority of my life, I was vegetarian. And more recently, I switched over to being a pescatarian. So I don't really know much about cooking fish. So before our call, oh my God. Before, before recording this, I did FaceTime Tony. Because uh, my fiance is out at a workout class and I'm preparing dinner for us. And I said, Tony, I don't know what I'm doing. How do I know this is done? <laughs> <laughs> he literally FaceTimes me. Evan FaceTimes me. And he says, is the fish cooked? And it's like this two really nice salmon fillets. And I said, how long have you had it on the stove? Oh, maybe about 10 minutes. And he zooms in on it. So I'm seeing like the white part of the flaky parts of the uh, salmon. And I said, basically, if it's firm and there's no spring back, then you got it, then it's good. So it, it was, it was I good. Can confirm. <laughs> if by time this airs, I'm in the ER, we'll, we'll know why. <laughs> Listen, but I was under the tutelage of my dad, the, the OG chef. Who is a chef? Who is a chef? Who's an actual executive chef. So, uh, so I, I've learned a lot to understand the little nuances of fish cooking, especially chicken cook, cooking, which is also very tricky. I love it. Uh, well, before we begin, I wanted to to do a public shout out. Uh, I, I've attended a few events the last week or so, one at Fordham, uh, Fordham Law, and then one put on by the law firm Loeb and Loeb. And I've had several people come up to me or in conversation talk about our podcast and how much they enjoy it. Uh, one of the gentlemen who I spoke to actually said that he enjoys listening to it because when topics are discussed in his office environment, he can contribute and he's kind of aware of what goes on uh, in the world of entertainment. So that's awesome to hear. And, you know, it's people like that that really bring a smile to both of our faces, I would say. And the reason why week in and week out, we put in the time to research and Tony puts in the time to, to cut this material uh, and put it on streaming platforms. So thank you for that. It's really humbling uh, in, in, in a dominated space, a podcast, everyone has a podcast nowadays that we have our niche and uh, people listen to us. So thank you to the listeners there. Yeah. And the listeners are what power and scene for sure. So we appreciate you guys. So today we have a fun episode for you. You know, I, I was feeling kind of inspired. I went to these entertainment and IP uh, CLEs for lawyers, and there were so many different topics discussed and really just showed, I mean, we already knew this, but just kind of the breadth of what's going on in the litigation world, in the, in the uh, contractual world. It's just so much. Um, with that said, one topic that was brought up was the Better Call Saul lawsuit, which was decided a few months ago, Better Call Saul, of course, being the spinoff of Breaking Bad, starring Bob Odenkirk as the um, ne nefarious, I guess you could say, attorney Saul Goodman. Um, and there was a ca the case really involved um, trademark infringement or copyright infringement, or excuse me, trademark infringement about Sweet Liberty Tax Services. Uh, that was a fictitious company in the show and we will get into 
what the ruling is there. And it does have implications with the Rogers v. Grimaldi test and, and fair use, which we talk about time and time again. We also wanted to talk about Taylor Swift. It recently came out that she, not confirmed from her mouth, but she might be suing uh, a company that posted explicit AI deepfake photos of her online. Uh, I would say out of all of these um, CLEs that I attended, AI was a very, very prevalent topic. So if Taylor Swift, who is arguably one of the most notable names in the entertainment world today, comes down and sues because of AI infringement uh, and and her name, image, and likeness uh, in in a bad light. Uh, This could have ripple effects. So we'll go into that. And we will also talk about uh, rehash some things that we discussed before because there's new developments. First of all, Alec Baldwin, you know that he was charged on several accounts um, for killing someone on set of Rust. Uh, there is a new charge that was just come down for involuntary manslaughter by New Mexico grand jury on January 19th. So hot off the press, as well as the rock and the ownership of his name, the rock. We had previously talked about, um, ownership of WWE wrestlers names in the real world. And most people cannot use them, uh, in the real world because it is a product of the WWE. So you, they own the rights of this personality, which is kind of crazy because, you know, I, I was pretty adamant about this. The person is the person, right? But I guess just the same way that Gal Gadot doesn't own the Wonder Woman persona, she just plays an iteration, uh, kind of the same thing here. This is a character, even though some of them aren't wearing any costumes like Wonder Woman. And then lastly, we will wrap it up with our fun question. In light of Oscar season, which starts in March, um, the Oscar nominations were just released this past week, and Tony and I have some thoughts. So we will (laughs) share our biggest snub that we think was not nominated, um, and that will be at the end of the podcast. And before we do that, our disclaimer. As always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Thank you, Tony. So let's uh, let's throw it around a little bit. Let's first talk about this Alec Baldwin case. Um, so just to reorient, basically, Alec Baldwin was on the film set of a film called Rust, and he... Again, the jury is still out, literally, uh, but he accidentally killed. I don't think he purposely killed, but he accidentally killed Helena Hutchins on January 19th. Excuse me. On October 21st, 2021 is when she passed away uh, after a gun that Baldwin was holding shot her. And, you know, it it was very, very devastating. Of course, there's footage of him hearing of her passing away. You saw that. A police footage, Tony, when he was... Uh, There's also a very gripping image of him on the phone with, I believe, his hand on his forehead. It's like such a staggering image to look at because, I mean, Alec Baldwin has played some of the most powerful characters in cinema. Um, yeah. I think like Glenn Gary Ross is like probably like the pinnacle of like the, the elite type of performance that he's always showcased. And, you know, to see him in such a vulnerable state about what happened, I mean, you could clearly see how how upset distraught. he was over and distraught yeah. he was over the situation. Yeah, it's uh, pretty intense. So this is the new charge that came about. Uh, Baldwin was charged with one count of involuntary manslaughter 
And we went the extra step here on end scene um, and we looked up <laughs> in New Mexico where he is being tried, what the statute is for manslaughter. So just for the list for listeners to know, uh, for the non-lawyers out there, manslaughter is a I want to say a, I don't want to say a best case scenario, but close to a best case scenario if you're being charged with killing someone. Right. Uh, and you know what? Why don't you, Tony, the the professor, give us the two main components of a criminal case? What is it that you need to show to the jury? Yeah. So uh, the core of any criminal charge is always going to be analyzing the actus reus and the mens rea. Actus mm-hmm. reus ad- addresses the physical act, what was physically done. The mens rea is the most important part because that touches on the mental state of mind of the criminal. And usually that's what sort of triggers sort of, if there's a sliding scale, right? So that's what will usually trigger higher, more, uh, you know, more uh, aggressive charges to someone sure. who committed murder. So if let's say Alec Baldwin intended, like he purposely wanted to kill Hanel Hutchins, that's a clear cut case. The mens rea there is like super high. He intended to do it. We probably would be talking about a first degree murder, but Evan, I don't think you're wrong about saying manslaughter is the best case scenario, especially in his case, involuntary manslaughter, because at the end of the day, that's like the intention is non-existent pretty much. And more often than not, it has a a lesser sentence too. Exactly. Um, But no, I mean, you know, in in, in a lot of these criminal cases, the actus reus is very easy to prove. The act of he he killed this person with a gun. I mean, that that is clear cut actus reus. It wasn't like, you know... uh, a benevolent figure that came from above that just intervened, exactly. you know? <laughs> so it clearly that happened. But I, when he shot, he, I don't, I, again, I wasn't there, but I don't think he was angry at the cinematographer. I don't think he was angry at the director in, in a fit of rage where he, he killed. He someone. was shooting. He honestly, he was shooting his scene. That's so you could even argue that he was just, he was, he wasn't even, I mean, I, I would hope, he wasn't in that state of mind that he was out to get Helena Hutchins or or cause some type of harm intentionally. Um, I, I mean, obviously, th- th- that's something that would have to be discussed in trial. But that, I think, is a very important factor that would probably have to come into play from the defense side of things. Yeah. So two things that we want to mention. Um, first of all, the statute, which I mentioned. So in New Mexico... Um, Manslaughter is the unlawful killing of a human being without malice. So there's two types of manslaughter, involuntary and voluntary. Involuntary is the lesser charge, which Alec Baldwin is charged with. Involuntary manslaughter consists of manslaughter. Again, manslaughter is the unlawful killing of human being without malice. Consists of manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act not amounting to a felony or in the commission of a lawful act, which might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution and circumspection. Um, Different jurisdictions describe felonies differently. Felony is something like robbing a bank, you know? So an unlawful act, you could be doing something not robbing a bank. Felony charges are significantly more intense um, when you're being sentenced and whatnot. So there's no felony here. He was shooting a movie scene and he was committing a lawful act again, acting. Um, but he might, it might produce death. If you're shooting a fake gun, would it produce death? So I think that there's 
viable arguments on both sides. But the thing that we wanted to highlight, this just came out today. We're recording on Thursday the 25th. Uh, he has the support. Baldwin has the support of SAG-AFTRA, which is huge when you have an entire union behind you. They basically said, uh, to the extent that the charges filed on January 19th are based on an accusation of negligent use of a firearm predicated on this or any actor having a duty to inspect a firearm as part of its use, that is an incorrect assessment of the actual duties of an actor on set. Long story short, they're basically saying it is not an actor's duty to make sure that a weapon they are using checks all the boxes, right? So, Tony, very briefly before we, you know, because I don't want to make this episode too, too long, uh, what do you think, what do you make of this charge again? And I, I read online that they're, they're salivating to cross-examine Alec Baldwin. I mean, <laughs> I'm not coming to his defense, but it, it seems like he might be a scapegoat. I mean, someone has to be guilty. Someone's dead, you know? There, there needs to be a finger to blame here, but is it Alec Baldwin's fault? Well, that's the question, right? Is, 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 right? is that his cross to bear? You know, I think that easily there are a ton of other people that I would think of. First and foremost, the the firearm specialist that was on yep. set. I mean, yep. she had, from what we understand, two years of experience. And uh, apparently there were other crew members that would use the prop guns and actually loaded with actual bullets. And they would the, allegedly, the, the rumor was that they would shoot the prop guns during break. And that's how sort of like shrapnel remained inside the uh, prop gun that eventually caused the injury and ultimate death of Helena Hutchins. Um, but this is what I'll say about this charge. First and foremost, um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen enough law and order and criminal movie, criminal trial movies, and you're probably saying to yourself, oh, isn't this double jeopardy? We would only be having the discussion about double jeopardy if, let's say, Alec Baldwin stood trial on the initial charge, was found not guilty, and then was tried again. First of all, the United States criminal system has a zero tolerance policy for double jeopardy. Whether you're guilty or not, you cannot be charged for the same crime uh, over and over. Now, That's why OJ Simpson was only charged once. Exactly. There you go. Um, although a lot of people love to comment on how you know this the civil case where he ended up losing was almost like the consolation prize to what happened with the criminal case. Right. All, th- all that to say, um, you know, the reason why the prosecution in, in New Mexico, the prosecutors in Mexico, New Mexico decided not to go forward with the initial charge was probably because they didn't have enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the threshold for proof in a criminal trial. So could they, did they have enough of a forensics report? Did they have enough ballistics report to kind of move that needle uh, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, which is not a hundred percent, but an overwhelming amount of evidence to show that the prosecution has a case. Um, so I think that's probably what led to this. Um, it's also interesting that this charge comes nearly a year after the initial manslaughter charge was brought against him. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say, you know, I, I think this is going to be a very uh, important case uh, because I think this do- this will shed light on what liability, what yep. criminal liability does take place if, God forbid, this ever happened on a film set ever again. Um, because, I mean, he was... He, he could have been an unknowing actor to all this. How could he bear the responsibility of knowing if the gun was loaded with, with, uh, with an actual bullet or not, which is why I think the gravity of sag uh response is, and their support for Alec Baldwin is all the more important. So very interesting story and certainly one to watch. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, 
definitely a very tragic story all around. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, that's kind of the, the way I, I, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think you're already seeing some changes being made on sets, just maybe using CGI to generate gunshots or anything dangerous. Because, you know, while filmmaking is an art, it is not an art worth losing lives over. You know, stuntmen, stuntmen, I feel like are a different story, but like, you know... They, they, I feel like they know the risks. Oh, yeah. But they, sign, they sign a waiver of liability automatically to do their job. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, very interesting. We will keep you uh, up to date on that development. Next, let's move on to The Rock. And yes, we smell what he is cooking. He's cooking up a very <laughs> lucrative deal uh, here. So as, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, there are more often than not, WWE personalities cannot be translated outside of the ring, meaning the person that is the character. Again, I'm not too well versed on wrestling, but I would assume the Undertaker. I don't know his real name. Do you know? Unfortunately, I don't. And we don't have okay. Dan, we don't have Dan Lust. Shout out to Dan, Conduct Detrimental, another great podcast. Uh, Dan is like a WWE expert a guru. So uh, unfortunately, I we don't just have looked him it up on. for us. Okay, good. Okay, <laughs> I bought you the, time. The, the Undertaker is his real name is Mark William Calloway. So The Undertaker sounds a little bit more intimidating. <laughs> um, but all, all this to say, he, Mark, or Mr. Calloway, would not be able to use the, the phrase The Undertaker really in any merchandising opportunity un, un, under his own volition. WWE could. That's why they license him in video games, merch, you name it. And I assume that he'd get cut of that if they're using his name image and likeness uh then again i'm not privy to those contracts but he cannot go out and i'm trying to think of an example of of how he would be able to use this perhaps that you know if he were to do a television show or something along those lines or a commercial what does that look like tony he's like like you know a commercial for something like let's say um you know, he he uh, did a car dealership commercial, or he did a grocery store commercial. Um, actually, a grocery store would be great because he could say he could do something like you know uh, he could maybe do his signature move for the commercial, or say something like you know deal so good it'll undertake you. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the creative, I have no creative control over that. I, but I, I will, I will tell you, Tony. I love you, but you will never be a chief marketing officer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with other puns. I just, I, for whatever reason, I can't do it with that example. And uh, like, like even, like actually, you know, since we're talking about him, like even if The Rock were to do pre this story, if let's say he were to do like a commercial with Crumble Cookies. Um, and he's like walking into the shop and he says, like, he does this whole, you know, like, you know, eye, eyebrow thing and everything. And he says, I smell what's cooking. And it's, you know, <laughs> this rock smells what he's cooking, like something like that. He can't use because that is essentially part of the intellectual property of WWE. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that that's what the limitation that takes place clearly there. So this is monumental because, uh, you know, first of all, TKO, which is the company uh, that owns WWE, uh, will award Johnson a stock award valued at $30 million in connection with this agreement, vesting over time. Johnson will also still be able to collect royalties in connection with sales of The Rock merchandise. So this is huge. He's already the highest paid actor on the planet. Now he's getting merch from 
and in all fairness, the persona that he had created where he got where he started, really, he wasn't he didn't start in the uh, Hollywood industry, uh, you know, and this is kind of a full circle moment for him where now the character that he created, you know, I'm actually curious about The Rock, though, because he had the Young Rock show. Perhaps this is how is that a loop loophole from the persona he created that's owned by WWE? I mean, probably he. Uh, I, I mean, there could be there could have been a world where uh, NBC worked out a deal with WWE because obviously they have the streaming rights. Maybe, maybe paid a licensing. So fee they probably they probably did pay a license fee. I mean, the other component to it is factually he has been known as the rock so and it's a, it's sort of like a comedic biographical take on his life so m- maybe there could be something from a from a grimaldi point of view like it's artistic it's it's an artistic take on his life uh, story what have you but um yeah it's it's uh it, i i would probably lean towards saying it's likely a license fee that took place there and there was also n- news that wwe uh, moved raw to netflix in a five billion dollar deal tony do you have any uh top of the line um headlines from that move uh, so, so i mean i think this is an insanely profitable deal for wwe um to expand to a different streaming service um which by the way i don't know if the peacock deal is over yet or if this is an add-on to it i would probably think it's an add-on but even then, I mean, Netflix could easily be buying into the pay-per-view marketplace. With, it, it, it runs through October 2024, I believe. Oh, okay. So so actually, that's interesting because then it, it does make me wonder if, uh, if WWE will renew with Peacock for other content that don't include WWE Raw. But, I mean, this is just like huge. It, this will easily change the landscape uh, for for how you watch sporting and entertainment content on streaming services. Um, you know, I think uh, th- this is probably going to be a cue for even ESPN Plus uh, to figure out, like, how can we offer pay-per-view MMA fights going forward? Um, or even, or even you know, certainly premium content on Max, since they have the HBO boxing uh, matches on HBO, it would be great for them to kind of brainstorm on how that could, uh, how that could play into Max for sure. Yeah, and we've seen some streaming platforms already, you know, during the NFL playoffs, you know, just um, exclusively stream on Peacock or what have you. But, uh, you know, I'm personally more of a football guy myself, but I can't undercut, pun intended, the uh, the appeal <laughs> of wrestling and, and the live uh, the live streaming there. So we'll see what happens there. I think uh, it could set a bad precedent or a good precedent for some of these personalities to claim back uh, or in some capacity, the personas that they created. Listen, I'll say this as kind of like my closing remark, the the beauty of what we've seen with Dwayne, the rock Johnson's career has been that he has really like become uh, not only a really insanely talented actor, but he has become such a sound business person with his tequila line with uh, his business venture, with his ex-wife, with a production company that is so thriving, the XFL purchase that that there were the creation of XFL, which not many people talk about, and now this. I mean, in so many ways, I would not be surprised if come twenty thirty two, like in Young Rock, he runs for president because he honestly is like building an incredible portfolio 
from a business perspective. So, and, and there's seemingly no dirt on him either. No, like actually, I gotta say, he's like really, really well liked by a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I think that if you have someone like him at the helm and the board of directors, he will be an advocate for a lot of wrestlers, and maybe there will be a change of policy going forward with uh, WWE. I mean, we saw that change with the NCAA with name, image, and likeness yep. evolution, and yep. I think that that's very likely here for sure. Yep. I totally agree. It's it's a slippery slope in a good and bad way. We'll see where it goes. Uh, all right, let's move on to Better Call Saul. And because I love the theme song so much, we're going to play it right now. Uh, it hits every time. It's like 10 seconds long, but I mean... It's so good. Uh, anyway, so Better Call Saul, I thought it was relevant to bring up because not only did it just recently end its stint of six seasons, it also has not won, if you believe this, a single Emmy. It was nominated. Did you know this, Tony? I did know It was this, nominated actually. 57 times. Yeah. And didn't win a single one, which is that's, amazing. That's to pretty me. harrowing. Yeah, it really is. It's almost like as shocking as Alfred Hitchcock never winning an Oscar, and he's one of the most talented film directors of all time. Yeah, it's just unbelievable to me, but I think it's very um, like ironic because Saul Goodman is painted as this loser at life. So it's kind of ironic that he's not won a single <laughs> thing. Ironic. But uh, I mean, Bob Odenkirk, the dude literally had a heart attack on set wow. and came back and put a incredible performance on in the final episode. Spoiler alert. He played three different characters. There's an evolution of Saul Goodman, uh, Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman, and Gene Taflovich. Jimmy McGill, his his real name turned into the, the dirt bag kind of drug drug lord um attorney Saul Goodman and then Gene Taflovich when the the um the mafia not the mafia why am I forgetting what they're called when like the the Salamancas were after him when he was on the run so he played three different characters I don't know it's kind of disappointing anyway uh I digress so there was a lawsuit that came down because there was a fictional business in the show called Sweet Liberty Tax Services. And the reason it was in the show, the kind of the narrative point was Craig and Betsy Kettleman, two minor characters in the show, um, stole a lot of money from from certain people. And in order to make it better, they created this Sweet Liberty Tax Services, um, you know, to help give the money back, which um, is pretty ironic. But in any event, there is actually a place called Liberty Tax Service. It is an actual real tax preparation business with over 2,500 locations across the U.S. and Canada. And they thought that they were paint that, that there was too much similarity between the show and their actual um, business, and it kind of painted them in a negative light. This was kind of like a shell company, uh, you know, which obviously you don't want to have any sort of association with that. When you're when you're running an upstanding business here, um, so the court ruled in favor of AMC, uh, the company that owns Saul, and they relied on the Roger Three Grimaldi test. And Tony and I had spoken about this. Tony, why don't you um, give a very brief 
iteration of what the Rogers v. Grimaldi test kind of shows for um, for the listeners? Sure. So the synthesis of the Rogers v. Grimaldi test essentially is about whether or not the use of another entity's trademark um, qualifies as infringement in uh, works related to artistic expression. Yep. And basically, it's up to the court to decide if the artistic expression sort of meets the merits of being protected as free protected speech under the First Amendment, or is is there overwhelming proof of actual consumer confusion that essentially supersedes the whole argument under the First Amendment? And Rogers v. Grimaldi kind of dives into the use of, let's say, well, in this case, uh, in that case, it was Ginger Roberts and Fred Astaire, who were two dancers that were commonly featured in 1950s, 60s films. But when an Italian filmmaker used their names, was that enough to sort of create false light defamation? Um, or was was a film that was kind of parodying Ginger Robert, uh, Ginger Rogers and um, Fred Astaire? Was there, yeah, Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire. Was it enough to be fully valid and protected under the First Amendment? And the, the Second Circuit said, yes, it is fully protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, so that's always relevant when you're looking at, you know, the, these sort of lawsuits. And this is a direct quote from the judge. Um, While such patriotic imagery closely resembles what liberty uses in the real world, it does so with a completely different aim in Saul, the judge wrote. AMC is using it to tell a story about morally dubious characters swindling people under the guise of patriotism. Liberty does so in the real world to market its tax preparation services. Liberty presented no evidence suggesting that viewers of the TV show will not understand that Sweet Liberty Tax Services is a fictional business operated by fictional characters in a work of fiction. So fiction is really the hallmark of what um, the judge was looking at here, which I think is is interesting because you could have a fictional work that that does teeter on sort of infringement. This is obviously a little bit different, totally you know, different um, moral guys that they're operating under. But I don't know, this could be an interesting holding. I don't know what jurisdiction this was in. But, uh, you know, we talk about precedent, you can use former rulings in your case to show why something should or should not be ruled in your favor. Here, he kept on using the word fiction. So I, I don't know, maybe someone could argue it, a studio could argue that there is a fictional series and that be, they should not be uh, liable for infringement in any case. So what, what do you make of that? Yeah, so I looked it up. So it's uh, Paul Gardif from the Southern District of New York. So, okay, uh, so you're right. L- local here. Um, I, I, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, I, I did want to look at the logos because I, I candidly forgot how Sweet Liberty looks. And my God. The Statue of Liberty that's outside, I see another photo here on Google that has a blow-up Statue of Liberty outside Liberty Tax uh, Services. And, um, you know, obviously there's a more prominent feature of the Statue of Liberty in the fictionalized Sweet Liberty Tax Services. In the real-life Liberty Tax Service, it's just the the face of Lady Liberty on, on the logo. But, you know, I, I think that this is kind of a no different discussion than we would we would be having the same exact discussion if let's say we were talking about McDonald's in coming to America mm-hmm. and if let's say you know could McDonald's sue Paramount for trademark infringement for creating a, a, a fake f- fast food restaurant that mimics McDonald's 
when if you watch the movie, the whole point of it was it was literally pointing a jab at McDonald's because this guy was like an old employee of McDonald's. And so he decided to fr- start his own restaurant. And it's like part of the story that is Prince Akeem coming to America and working a janitor job. And, you know, it's like the most it's the most insanely boring and common story that makes it so ridiculous and fun at the same time. Of course, McDonald's would be fools to sue the sue them. If anything, it might actually propel people to go to McDonald's and say, "Oh, can I get a Big Mac?" And then they laugh. And I meant the Big Mac. Sorry. So either way, I, I think uh, th- this was a proper holding. Um, I, I really don't think it's worth an appeal, honestly. Uh, if anything, you know, Liberty Tax Service is not even in the same realm as uh, you know uh, an entertainment giant like AMC and. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, we'd be having a different discussion if there was an actual built business called Sweet Liberty Tax Service that was trying to, you know, write off the coattails of Liberty Tax Service. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting uh, case, but it is a win for AMC at the time. Uh, let's let's wrap it up before our fun question with this Taylor Swift AI, which just came out today. By the way, yeah, I said breaking news here on NT. Uh, uh, breaking news. Uh, we, we're coming to you live from New York. Um, I, I sent this to Tony when I was in was in the Uber ride home. So there are, first of all, let's let's talk about name, image, and likeness real quick. Personality rights are so important to celebrities because you build up this goodwill amongst your fans, amongst people in the industry, and it only makes sense that you should exploit your personality, who you are in a way that you want to, and you should monetize off that as well. AI, first of all, I have to say, I have never used chat GPT before. Have you ever used it, Tony? I have, I have actually. That's fine. There's nothing, there's, no, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. When I was at this Loeb and Loeb event today, we got a demonstration of chat GPT because we were talking about ethics and and you know how, how do we safeguard against this. And wow, it is crazy. Like it said, you know, um, an example they use, the, the book Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, they, the, the gentleman that was doing the lecture said, write me a 10 series or a 10 episode um, miniseries based off of Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And they wrote 10 like small episodes of breaking down the book. And that's what this whole lawsuit is against open AI where all these authors are coming together because clearly they are digesting and recognizing these books. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. It's a very slippery slope. All this to say AI is here it, there. We have some um, protection in that. We know Tony, you could attest to this, that there needs to be human authorship in order to receive copyright protection. So that's good out there. Um, but then there's these things called deep fakes, which are troubling in the fact that it's, ve- you know, it's so funny. I, I'm sorry, I'm getting getting sidetracked here. I have a good friend, Bobby, who sent me a picture of Taylor Swift today wearing a Donald Trump shirt that said, um, I don't know exactly, something about nope. And it had his, his toupee or his hair on the O or something. And he sent it to me today. And like, literally, this could not have been more perfect and said, is this real? And I said, Bobby, are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> but 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 that that goes that goes to show it looks it looks authentic, but there's no way that she wore that shirt. D- are you pulling it up right now? Are you trying to find it? I'm trying to find it. 
I'll, ha- I'll have to send it to you. But in any okay. event, like it just goes to show you, you know, Bobby is an educated man and he was tricked by it. I said, I'm like, Bobby, come on. And then he sent the emoji of like, I don't know. So, I mean, this just goes to show that the dangers of it. We've obviously seen the Pope wearing the jacket. You've seen Donald Trump being, you know. Oh, I see uh, it here. I see it here, actually. You, you see USA, it? Yeah, USA Today did a fa- fact check on it, actually. Yeah. And it's pretty, this is pretty eerie how <laughs> it he does. Even, it does look kind of real, honestly. There, there was also even as scary as Donald Trump giving a speech about making a joke or about uh, the Panera lemonade and, and, and how like, you know, you, you keep Joe Biden in office and you get people dead drinking lemonade. Like that's not a real quote. So it just it, it's very, very crazy. All this to say now is where we're teetering on the line of not very good. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah. fake pornographic images of Taylor Swift generated using AI are circulating on social media, uh, particularly X. Um, and that's not looking good. Tony, as a as the IP professor, um, what what say you about this troubling world of deep fakes? And do you foresee perhaps some federal regulation if Taylor Swift does decide to pursue? legal action if you were putting on your lawyer cap what do you think would happen i am so glad you brought up federal legislation because there is actually i needed to pull it up because actually one of my students did a presentation on this for their small group presentations in entertainment law this past semester so there is presently a bill that is on capitol hill hasn't been passed yet but it has bipartisan support overwhelming bipartisan support called the Nurture Originals Foster Art and Keep Entertainment Safe Act, also known as the No Fakes Act. We literally discussed that at the symposium today. <laughs> so, yep. so this is just, again, show you the bipartisan support. It has the support of Senator Chris Coons, a de- de- Democrat from Delaware, Marsha Blackburn, Republican Senator from Tennessee, Amy Klobuchar, Democratic Senator from Minnesota, and Tom Tills, Tills who is a Republican senator from North Carolina. All four Mm. have sponsored this bill. And this Mm. would basically, according to what I'm reading here, prevent the production of a digital replica without consent of the applicable individual or rights holder, unless it's part of a news, public affairs, sports broadcast, documentary, or biographical work. And the rights would apply throughout a person's lifetime and for their estate 70 years after their death. So this is amazing if this got passed. And- you know, let me let me just also address the elephant in the room. Uh, Vivek Jayaram, shout out to him. I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but if you do, shout out to you, man, because you are amazing. He is a law professor at the University of uh, Miami's Law School. And this past semester, he just taught a whole Taylor Swift and the law yep. class. Got yep. massive press over it, and rightfully so. It is a genius move because Taylor Swift has had such a long recorded legal history, not that she's done something wrong, but she just unfortunately has been thrust in a lot of litigation. And now this is another one that we can add. What's also more impressive about Taylor Swift is she has set the standard for a lot of things in the industry. Um, She pulled out of Spotify at one point because she wasn't getting paid royalties. And what happened? Spotify changed that up. Uh, She directly went to AMC theaters and cutting out the middleman for distribution. Look what she did. Beyonce followed in her footsteps. She re-recorded all of her albums. Now the industry is responding. Labels are literally putting in re-record provisions to prevent 
Taylor Swift uh, similar situations from happening. This will definitely set the landscape for personality rights and rightfully so. Um, I think that we sort of saw, you know, shades of this with the uh, deep fake version of uh, Heart on My Sleeve with Drake and The Weeknd, where mm-hmm. their voices were used to basically create a song that they never wrote or performed ever in their life. And, you know, we're seeing, we've seen time and time again, deep fakes out there where you can superimpose someone's face onto something else. Um, I, I think that this would c- certainly be a very, um, important lawsuit if this actually does go through because it will it will definitively uh well one it will definitely add generative ai to the discussion of personality right infringements but two this will also set the standard for what next how do you regulate personality rights in this new age of technology that is generative ai i think the no fakes act is definitely the way to go um, but now maybe this, if there is no federal law that's passed, maybe states that already have existing personality right law will now have to amend their respective statutes to address deep fakes and AI. But certainly this is going to be a groundbreaking lawsuit if this comes to fruition. And a few more things to note. Um, even President Joe Biden got involved here. He issued an executive order. This was October 30th of last year. Um, he issued an executive order that uh, requires companies like Google, Amazon, and Microsoft-backed OpenAI to share safety test results with the government whenever they train an AI model that poses a potential serious risk to national security, national economic security, or national public health and safety. So you have Biden's executive order. You have several states, Texas, Minnesota, New York, Hawaii, and Georgia, that have made non-consen- non-consensual deep fake pornography illegal um they you have that we have the um representatives that choney just shared about this the the stop the deep fakes movement um it's it's i feel optimistic that there are steps being taken in the right direction to um prevent things like this because it could be it could be very dangerous i mean my mind doesn't go to places like this, but it can be pretty harrowing. Like the things that you can do with it, you know, perhaps that you can sign someone's name or you can show someone at a, uh, a rally of a Nazi rally or something yep. like that. Yep. And, and you, you, if you don't have anyone there to check it, you have gullible friends like my, my good friend, Bobby, <laughs> that might, that might think Bobby. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's my guy. That's my guy. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to see, uh, and there's, you know, this is from a New York Post article. Uh, some Swifties, that's the Taylor Swift fan, said, When I saw the Taylor Swift AI pictures, I couldn't believe my eyes. Those AI pictures are disgusting. Whoever released them deserves punishment. Someone said, How is this not considered a sexual assault? We're taking, we're talking about the body face of a woman being used for something she probably would never allow slash feel comfortable. How are there no regulation laws preventing this? So I've been saying it since 2019. I mean, you were the first. Actually, you you when I started teaching at New York Law School, I made a big stink about this. Evan is a witness to this, so thank God someone's listening. I guess the the <laughs> someone in Congress probably got a hold of my PowerPoint presentation. I, I thought we would have to call the paramedics on him by the way that he was having a <laughs> this close a to an injury. Exactly. Um, but anyway, yeah. So kind of crazy, and I truly think if Taylor does pursue legal action this will be even though there's already steps that are happening this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back absolutely 
Very interesting. And then lastly, let's talk about the Oscars. So a lot of unsurprising picks, a lot of shocking omissions for the Oscars. Um, I think all the best movie noms are what were expected on my end. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's so many categories. But let's talk about, uh, you know, actor, actress, director, uh, you know, the, the big ones. Tony, what what was your shocking snub that the Academy did not select in the shortlist? All right. Let me give the disclaimer. This is my own personal opinion. Evan laughed at me and I don't care. I, I really don't care. I love the movie Air. It's such a good movie. It's very, very well done. I'm honestly shocked that at a bare minimum, Viola Davis was not nominated um, as um, – Michael Jordan's mom best and best, for Best Supporting Actress. Her performance, there's a scene between uh, Matt Damon and her when when uh, Sonny Vaccaro comes to visit Michael Jordan's fa- uh, house in uh, North Carolina and you know meets the family and all that. And just the dialogue between the two of them, I, I texted Evan and I said, that is what they're going to play during the Oscar, uh, you know, during the Oscars when they show their performance and, and their nomination. Honestly, it, it, their their performances were very riveting. Now, admittedly, air aired no pun, no pun intended in April of 2023. So, a lot of movies have passed since then, like Barbie and Oppenheimer, and I think that a lot of other actors are deserving those nominations. But I will mm-hmm. say, like I said, at a bare minimum, Viola Davis should have been considered because it was a very um, intense and very well delivered performance on her part. Obviously, she's such a talented actress in her own right. Um, so I would say, if I had to pick a snub, that was one that I think was worthy of it. I have three things I want to say about that, Tony. First of all, Viola Davis won Best Supporting Actress for Fences with Denzel Washington yep. back in 2017. And yep. the Academy likes to give other people opportunities. So I think that may have been one reason why she was not selected. Two, I would bet all my money that Divine Joseph Randolph is going to win Best Supporting Actress. So even if Viola so. Davis was, <laughs> was nominated, I don't think she would win. And then lastly... Um, the, the Academy is all about inclusivity and diversity. And the five nominees, uh, Danielle Brooks and Divine jo- Joy Randolph, I'm sorry, I said Divine Joseph, Divine Joy Randolph are both black actresses. So there's some diversity there. Um, America Ferreira, yeah. who is Hispanic, yeah. she she was a surprise nominee. She was. Uh, yeah. But she is Hispanic. And then Jodie Foster is part of the LGBTQ community. And then Emily Blunt is British, so I guess that's diverse. But <laughs> uh, it counts for something. <laughs> a, a white Brit, but um, certainly they're all, everyone nominated is deserving. Absolutely. But I, I I hear you on that. Very valid critique. Uh, for me, I would say, and we discussed this earlier, my best actor snub or best I guess that would be best actor snub is Zac Efron uh, for the Iron Claw. And I'm trying to wrap my head around um, why he wasn't nominated. I mean, right now the nominees are Coleman Domingo, Bradley Cooper, Paul Giamatti, Killian Murphy, and Jeffrey Wright. Talk about diversity again. You know, uh, I believe Coleman Domingo is is gay, yes. so part of the LGBT community, community. Jeffrey Wright and him are both black actors. Killian Murphy is Irish, uh, and Bradley Cooper and Paul Giamatti, of course, Americans. Um, but again, kind of, I'm knocking down my own thought here, 
would Zach Efron beat Paul Giamatti or Killian Murphy? I don't know. But the Iron Claw movie, I don't know if we discussed it on here, Tony, but it was an absolutely gutting movie. Yeah. Um, it was just fantastic all around performances. And Zach Efron, props to him. You know, I, I remember growing up watching him in High School Musical, but he has really come into his own and he's not been afraid to um, diversify his roles. You know, uh, he's been in comedies, he's been in serious roles and good on him. And and his portrayal as one of the Von Erich brothers here was just I like I cried like four times yeah, it was that that one scene at the end yes. where I'm not going to spoil it, but where they said we can be your brothers. Oh, I God. mean, come on. <laughs> There's only been one other time I cried. That was during Guardians of the Galaxy when they kept showing Baby Rocket because all I could think of was my dog. Yeah. She looks just like her. But honestly, Iron Claw just has really touches on the emotional nerve points so well. Like this brotherly trust that took place. And I mean, all all for the game of uh, or the sport of wrestling, like uh, just fantastic. And A24, just like I said to Evan, a24 knows how to pick the good movies. They just have the eye and are in tune with picking movies that will definitely wow the audiences. And they have not, they have literally been batting a thousand lately. I literally can't remember if I said this in our last podcast, but I'm going to say it again anyway. I'll never forgive my fiance. We were about to see Iron Claw and we were at dinner in California because we were there for the holidays. And I'm like, I, I'm about to say, Rachel, I'm like really excited for this movie. And I'm about to say, I don't really know anything about it. And she goes, yeah, they all die. I did. I, t- I told you the story. <laughs> no, you didn't you, tell me that. <laughs> oh my God. She's <laughs> what? I, I, I mean, listen, it's, it's fact. I could have looked it up on oh, Google, yeah, but I'm, we're lit. I'm literally sitting there at dinner and I, and I'm already struggling because we're underneath a heater. And I'm like sweating my balls off here. And then I'm literally like, you know, I'm really excited to see this movie. I don't really know what happens. I'm about to say I don't know what happens. And I swear to God, like we were in a sitcom. She like straight up says to me, oh, yeah, they all die. Oh, my God. I'm like, that, remi- you, I was- that reminds me of when um, the time my parents actually ended up seeing how and how it happened. I have no idea how they ended up seeing Avengers Endgame before I did. And- you suck at going to the movies early. I get you, fr- I I get know, you first night tickets. <laughs> you always grill me about this so uh so he uh so, so my mom's like did you go see endgame yet because i was gonna go see with melissa we were dating and i said not yet and she just says oh tony stark died and i'm like <laughs> thanks 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 a lot <laughs> oh my god liz what are we doing here? i know i know it's such a such a bummer but it was good anyway, was good anyway. we digress yeah. uh that will bring us to the end of episode 37 of end scene uh, a massive yeah, thank you a nice to all jam, you. Nice jam-packed episode too. We jam-packed. Yeah. We could we could have gone longer, but you guys would have been sick of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll bring us on home. So thank you guys, the listeners, for uh, you know listening every week. Thank you to PNT Knitwear, our guy Serge over there, uh, 180 Orchard Street. Uh, we are on Shake S H A Y K. You have to enter the code N Scene to get some exclusive content. Uh, which we are kind of lacking on, Tony. We should definitely um, that could be our New Year's resolution for the- New Year's resolution. <laughs> so uh, check us out there. And am I missing anyone? Oh, thank you to my cousin Hunter Zarin, of course. And I'm going to take us on home now, if unless I miss anything. No, you, you got it all down. Let's uh, take us home. And until next time, and scene. <laughs>